The Oracle sits in a plastic throne between a Sprint Nextel kiosk and a display cart of Navajo-inspired jewelry. She wears a high erratic white robe and thong sandals from Old Navy. Her attendant, Mitch, who used to work security for fading pop stars at casinos and county fairs, stands guard behind a rope cordon. He accepts ritual offerings and all major credit cards. Pilgrims wait in line as far back as the food court, carrying pillow mists from Bath and Body Works, sweater vests from Banana Republic, orange chicken from Panda Express. Mitch accepts a $50 gift certificate to Sunglass Hut from a pilgrim in maternity wear, her belly suggesting a third trimester. It's my husband, says the pilgrim, escorted past the cordon rope to the foot of the oracle's throne. Lost his job in the latest round of Velcro layoffs. Everybody these days using hooks, snaps, laces, buttons. Seems Velcro ain't what it once was. Got a little one on the way and don't know how we're going to pay for the delivery, the crib, the stuffed animals, the baby food, the diapers, the pajamas with the padded feet. What do we do if my husband don't find a new job? You know how the job market is, Oracle. Ordered a pizza the other day. Delivery boy got himself a master's degree in semiotics. Don't know what the hell semiotics is, but it sure sounds too fancy for the boy to be handing me half cheese, half pepperoni. My husband just barely got his GED. What chance does he have? You know how much baby food costs? Tell me, Oracle, what are we supposed to do? The Oracle closes her eyes. Diffused sunlight streams through glass panels in the mall ceiling. Shoppers walk past, arms laden with paper bags. Music plays, generic smooth jazz, and the Oracle conjures her visions. Her eyelids flutter, muscles tense, lips form words in forgotten tongues. Nearby, at the Sprint Nextel kiosk, the sales lady says the P880 can receive text messages as far as 100 meters underwater. At the Navajo-inspired jewelry cart, a customer asks, What exactly is faux turquoise? The oracle emerges from her trance, opens her eyes, and sees the pregnant pilgrim cowering before her. She sees Mitch accept a supplicant's quarter rotisserie chicken breast from Boston Market. She sees a window advertisement informing her that now is the season for classic fit slacks. She makes her pronouncement. Your husband must perform ten labors, says the oracle to the pilgrim. The labors will be revealed to you in payless shoe source, in men's loafers and slip-ons. If they are not revealed to you, please see a payless sales associate for assistance. Your husband must perform all ten labors within one calendar year without outside aid or intervention. Other restrictions may apply. Upon completion of the tenth labor, your husband will find employment in the hospitality industry. If he does not find employment in the hospitality industry, professional career counseling is advised. Ten labors, says the pilgrim, for a job in the hospitality industry? Are you kidding? Ain't the man labored enough? 
This is my prophecy, says the oracle. Please don't forget to join our email list for exciting sales and special offers from our retail partners. The oracle drives to a housing subdivision called Pleasant Acres, a water fountain, sculptures of non-indigenous birds, and a security guard in a pre-assembled gatehouse greet her at the entrance. The oracle gives the security guard the name and phone extension of her ex-husband, Scott, 4322, and waits in her Toyota Camry as the guard dials. Meanwhile, Pleasant Acres residents cruise by in a parallel lane, dashboard-mounted electronic devices compelling an iron gate to slide obediently aside, granting them unhindered passage. The Oracle has come to Pleasant Acres to pick up her 14-year-old daughter, Cheyenne. Cheyenne attends Kennedy Memorial, the public high school closest to Scott's residence, because the high school in the Oracle School District has a 40% graduation rate and is notorious for its on-campus stabbings. The Oracle and Scott share 50-50 alternating custody of Cheyenne, their daughter packing two duffel bags and relocating across three zip codes every Friday. Cheyenne has stuffed dressers, overcrowded closets in both households. Her duffel bags contain only the essentials, the items of practical and sentimental value she is unwilling to even temporarily leave behind. It's Tuesday, still Scott's week, but the custody agreement guarantees the Oracle one midweek dinner before Friday's changing of the guard. Tonight, the Oracle has promised Cheyenne Red Lobster. The telephone stops ringing, and the iron gate magically recedes. Wednesday, the Oracle's two prophecies for the price of one special. Hungry for guidance and bargains, the pilgrims wait in line as far back as Ross dress for less. Offering a chai frappuccino from Starbucks, a pilgrim first asks, is the bank going to repossess her house? And then asks, is the tumor malignant? Offering an eight-outlet surge protector from Radio Shack, a pilgrim first asks, does Carol know about the rental car receptionist in Tucson? And then asks, who's your pick tonight, the Phillies or the Mets? The more diligent and or desperate of the pilgrims have camped overnight in the parking lot, securing optimal positions in line for Wednesday morning. Their eyelids droop and their hair sticks out at odd angles, but after receiving their prophecies, they are the picture of smugness as they stroll past the hundreds of latecomers still queued on the mall carpet. At five o'clock, Mitch informs the 40 to 50 pilgrims remaining on the other side of the cordon that the Oracle will grant no more appointments today and recommends that next time before their visit, they purchase a premium queue position voucher online. Several pilgrims threaten violence 
and security is called. By the end of the day, the oracle is visibly spent. Her shoulders sag, her face wilts, her trances last two, maybe three seconds, tops. The day's final pilgrim, the mother of a recovering meth addict, wants to know, one, if this time the treatment will stick, and two, if not, is there anything she, the pilgrim, can do? But the oracle's prophecy, abbreviated by exhaustion, is dishearteningly cryptic. American Apparel, says the oracle, dancewear, select unitards and leggings 10 to 25% off while supplies last. What? says the pilgrim. Enjoy an orange Julius, says the oracle. Enjoy a hot pretzel. Enjoy a Cinnabon. I don't understand, says the pilgrim, kneeling reverentially at the oracle's feet. I was asking if... Burlington Coat Factory, says the oracle. Peacoats for as low as $49.99. Anoraks for as low as $39.99. My son, says the pilgrim, pleadingly, grasping the oracle's ankles. I wanted to know if my son... Now is the season for water-resistant soft-shell hoodies, says the oracle, as Mitch pries the pilgrim away from the throne and leads her swiftly outside the court and sanctuary. This is my prophecy. Please don't forget to join our email list for exciting sales and special offers from our retail partners. Still Scott's week, the Oracle returns from the mall to an empty home. Home for the Oracle is half a duplex in an ungated neighborhood with no official name. When the Oracle was married, she and Scott lived in a subdivision called Empyrean Landings, which had tennis courts and an 18-hole golf course and cul-de-sacs named after noted industrialists of the late 19th century. Now, the Oracle lives within walking distance of a psychiatric hospital and an indoor firing range. Weekend mornings, she wakes up to the ballistic crack of ammunition and the tortured laughter of the insane. The Oracle microwaves herself a Lean Cuisine Salisbury steak and turns on the television. Trust Fund Beauties is on, the attractive daughter of a dead oil tycoon slapping the attractive daughter of a dead telecommunications mogul in the face. Stepping over various ritual offerings she hasn't yet managed to sell on eBay, the oracle compulsively creaks open the door to her daughter's bedroom and finds it just the way Cheyenne left it, bed unmade, clothes scattered across the floor, the room uninhabited since the previous Friday. Immediately following her divorce, the oracle would often sleep in her daughter's bed during the weeks she didn't have physical custody, but except for rare alcohol-fueled lapses, she doesn't anymore. Her therapist convinced her that this was counterproductive in terms of realizing her post-marital potential. The microwave dings and the oracle pulls back, shuts her daughter's door, 
steps over wholesale jewelry and clearance bras and discount handbags on her way back to the kitchen. On the television, the attractive daughter of a dead fish processing baron drunkenly dances on the bar of an area Bennigan's, her sensor-blurred breasts strangely Surratt-like, pointillism for the HD TV age. Every so often I think of you Every now and then My heart turns blue Southwest taco salad on her plastic throne. The Oracle's cell phone vibrates three times on a nearby faux marble pedestal. Text message, and the Oracle puts down her plastic silverware, hoping the message is from Cheyenne. Instead, it's from the Oracle at Mayflower Place, an upscale downtown shopping district. The message says, Oracle's night out tonight at TGI Fridays, 7 p.m. The nice one, not one by dog track. Text me for directions. There are seven oracles in the Tri-City area. 
Most are stationed in malls, some lease space in office buildings, one prophesizes in a two-bay hospitality suite at the downtown Marriott. They are, to varying degrees, friends, convening weekly at an area TGI Fridays or Outback Steakhouse or Applebee's to share workday horror stories and order ludicrous numbers of daiquiris, but they are also rivals, competing earnestly for market share and prestige. All is fair in love and capitalism. Mitch signals the five-minute warning, and the oracle wolfs down her taco salad, spilling chili and sour cream all over her hieratic robe. night out, the oracle sheds her robe for dress pants and a ruffled sleeveless blouse. Both the pants and blouse are ritual offerings, the pants from Macy's, the blouse from Kenneth Cole. The younger oracles wear skinny jeans and low-cut tops and flirt with men at the bar, promising prophecies in exchange for free drinks. One of the men asks if tonight's his lucky night, and the answer costs him a round of sex on the beach. The oracle is 39 years old. She married Scott when she was 25, the same year Cheyenne was born. In her early 20s, she dumped every guy she dated within a week because each first kiss foretold their future together. Arguments, infidelities, baldness, erectile dysfunction. Her first kiss with Scott was no different, warned her of the lost intimacy, the carefully constructed lies, the waitresses and the babysitters and the dance instructor. The only difference was Scott was the first man who made her hope that her prophecies were wrong. So I'm prophesizing, right? Says the oracle at 410 Commodore Place, a downtown commercial high-rise where she shares office space with a medical billing firm. And my vision, my vision's not good, but I do my best to let the guy down easy. I'm like, bad news, Mr. Squeakers isn't going to make it. Good news, PetSmart has a spring clearance sale, white rats, 50% off. But the guy isn't having it. He says he's unsatisfied with my prophecy, and he wants his money back. Oh, and also his ritual offering, which is a duvet cover from Bed Bath & Beyond. So, at first I try to be diplomatic. I have Clarette hand him a Xerox of our no-refunds policy, but he just crumples it up and drops it on the floor without reading a word. Real classy, this guy. He starts shouting, tossing F-bombs left and right, and next thing you know, all the medical billers are peeking over the tops of their cubicle partitions. They're like, please keep it down. It requires our utmost concentration to type the proper patient data and insurance billing codes, which, I don't need to tell you, does not sit well with Mr. F-bomber. So, long story short, 
the medical billers call security, Mr. F-Bomber sings the battle hymn of the Republic and tries to wrest the duvet cover out of Clarette's hands. A scuffle ensues, tasing occurs, Clarette becomes a weeping mess, and I have to send the remaining pilgrims home three hours early, all because... because why? Because this off can't take a little bad news? I see it every day at the strip mall, says the oracle at Glenview Shopping Plaza, finishing off her second blackberry margarita. These people today, they can't handle bad news. What do they expect? Life's all lollipops and sunbeams? Even three years back, people were different. They took their tragedies with dignity, with grace. Not anymore. If you ask me, people today have no sense of the long and storied history of human suffering. The plagues, the enslavements, the purges. There's no relativity, no respect for proportion. What are the kids learning in history class? The Great Depression was all the farmers in America holding hands across the dust bowl, teaching the world to sing in perfect harmony? Maybe everything's really gotten that bad says the oracle at the downtown Marriott, her flirtatious prophecies having thus far netted her three amaretto sours. Not as viscerally bad as the Great Depression, with the dust clouds and the migrant camps and the Hoovervilleites using horses to tow their fuelless Model Ts, but bad in the sense that people are tired of being lied to. They're tired of having no one left who they can trust. They're told, work hard and one day you'll have that green lawn and that white picket fence. But they work and they work and they work and all they get is some asphalt and if they're lucky, maybe some chain link. Plagues come in all kinds. Who's to say this cruel fiction isn't our generation's Black Death? The free drinks keep coming, courtesy of smitten men at the other end of the bar, and the oracle's rhetoric becomes more and more abstract, Socratic dialogue badly slurred. The oracle and the oracle at Baywood shops are the designated drivers and repel all male advances. Stone sober, the oracles aren't fooled. They know the intentions of a man at TGI Fridays on a Thursday. The oracle still dates, occasionally, on the weeks she doesn't have physical custody of Cheyenne. Men she meets at the mall, mostly sales associates, shift managers, security guards, electrical contractors, she never dates pilgrims. Experience has taught her that this is a recipe for disaster. On Monday, she went out for drinks at Ruby Tuesday with a luxury watch salesman whose first date attire included multiple high-end watches on each wrist. He spent the first 10 minutes of the date discussing the precision of Swiss engineering the second ten minutes discussing the aesthetics of the perfect wristband. The bartender asked the salesman why he needed six watches, and the salesman slipped off a Rolex and offered it to the bartender for inspection. The crystal is green-colored sapphire, said the salesman. 
the cases, 904L steel, ferromagnetic alloy shielding, works in magnetic fields up to 1000 gauss, alluring, dependable, timeless, Rolex. The bartender handed back the watch, and the salesman gave him a business card. Only one watch fit on each actual wrist. The other watches occupied adjacent space on his lower forearms. So, what do you do? said the salesman to the oracle after slipping on the Rolex, and she told him that she was a professional clairvoyant, that she foretold the future. Oh, that sounds interesting, he said, and then spent the next ten minutes discussing the pros and cons of analog versus digital as the oracle saw the salesman at 70, institutional bed, Parkinson's shakes, juice from a straw, the profound sadness of nursing home, bingo. Friday, the oracle arrives at the mall at 8.30 a.m. and finds her usual entrance blocked by unruly protesters waving signs and shouting through bullhorns. She sees them when she first pulls into the parking lot, a colorful human chain linked across the mall doors, refusing entry to employees and prospective shoppers. A few police officers stand idly by, waiting for backup, and curious onlookers take pictures with their cell phone cameras as TV news reporters acquire strategic positions, taping their segments in front of the protesters with the brightest clothing, the catchiest slogans. What could they possibly be protesting outside the mall, thinks the oracle as she cruises through the unusually chaotic parking lot. Jeans prices? Muzak? E. coli at the food court Johnny Rockets, but then she parks and reads the signs, hears the slogans, and finally realizes that the protesters are protesting her. Mitch, she says, calling her attendant on her cell phone, are you at the mall right now? Yeah, boss, I'm in the parking lot, says Mitch. I haven't left my car. I'm sure someone in the crowd will recognize me. If I were you, I'd stay put too. They see you, there's no telling what they'll do. The Oracle takes Mitch's advice and remains in her Camry, watches the protesters through her windshield. Beware false prophets, says a sign. No accountability, no peace. Kick the crones off their thrones. Prophecies equal lies, oracular, unspectacular. What's going on out there, Mitch? says the oracle, stunned. What did I do yesterday? Did someone kill themselves? Is this about the guy on parole for manslaughter who I told to visit the perfume counter at Saks Fifth Avenue? I don't think it's anything you did, personally, says Mitch, who the oracle has now spotted, her attendant hunkering down in the front seat of his Ford Taurus. I just got off the phone with Phil, the attendant for the Oracle at Pine Grove Promenade, and he says it's the same deal over there. 
protesters hooking arms across the entire strip mall, a stuffed oracle burnt in effigy outside Blockbuster, communal sing-alongs of If I Had a Hammer and We Shall Overcome, someone's got a bee in his or her bonnet. Anyway, if it's alright with you, I'm thinking we should head home, take this cluster cuss and turn it into a three-day weekend. The oracle stares at the protesters' faces, contorted, ugly, enraged, enraged at, ostensibly, her. Where does it come from, all this anger? She scans the crowd once, twice, three times. She doesn't recognize a single face. Okay, she says, sure, why not? Let's take the day off. Seconds later, Mitch is gone, peeling out of his space and gunning it for the parking lot exit. But the oracle lingers. The cop's backup arrives, a small army of souped-up Crown Victorias, as she sits mesmerized by the oscillating red, white, and blue. The police shout through their own bullhorns, inform the protesters that this is an unlawful gathering and they are to vacate the premises immediately, but the protesters don't budge. They continue to chant their slogans. They wave their signs. Some press their fingers against their noses and make pig noises. The TV news cameras catch everything, the reporters intoning solemnly in the foreground, loving it. The Oracle was born in 1970, the year of the Kent State shootings. Her parents were anti-war activists. There were pictures of them at marches and sit-ins and old family albums, long hair, peace signs, bell-bottoms, acoustic, guitars. As a teenager, the Oracle would flip through her parents' photo albums and find the protests so romantic, the youth, the energy, the fire, the idealism. The Oracle went to high school in the 80s when folk guitars were replaced by cheesy synthesizers and all kids seemed to care about was losing their virginities and making lots of money. But now, at age 39, the Oracle experiences what Nixon's silent majority of Americans no doubt experienced when they saw all those long-haired kids battling with riot police during the evening newscasts. Irritation, confusion, animosity, contempt. Who are these people? This is her mall, not theirs. What right do they have to prevent her from doing her job, from making an honest living? Okay, so maybe her living's not completely 100% honest. She does, as all oracles do, make synergistic, prophetic deferments, directing pilgrims to one of her many retail partner stores, whose sales associates she provides with her full, unabridged prophecies via Mitch's Blackberry. But what's the harm in that? Her pilgrims, while receiving their prophecies, are exposed to exciting new products and services, and she, the Oracle, gets a modest commission.
sure she feels a little guilty about it sometimes. Sure, sometimes it pains her to say the truth lies in women's fashions, or all will be revealed in men's warehouse and tucks. But who hasn't sold out a little bit to make their car payments, their mortgage payments, their rent? Plus, she has Cheyenne to think about. Dance lessons don't pay for themselves. College, even with Scott pitching in his half, isn't going to be cheap. What do the protesters want? Do they want her to tell her daughter, Hey, sorry kid, mom's gotta go back to waiting tables. Forget Juilliard, try to acquire an interest in business or the physical sciences. No way. The police say, this is your final warning. If you do not leave, we will remove you by force. The oracle starts her Camry and slowly leaves the parking lot, glancing repeatedly at her rearview mirror, which shows the police grimly approaching the protesters, both cops and crusaders, closer than they appear. of work, the oracle surprises Cheyenne by picking her daughter up from school, sparing Cheyenne the bus ride to her dad's house in Pleasant Acres. Also, this spares the oracle the awkward conversation with Scott and or whatever woman he has hanging around at the time, which normally accompanies any transition in physical custody. A win-win, thinks the oracle. Cheyenne, however, is less enthused. Mom, says Cheyenne, climbing into the Oracle's Camry, why are you picking me up? I was going to hang out with Tina after school. I got off work today, honey, says the Oracle, and since I haven't seen you since Tuesday, I figured, why not pay you a visit, get our week together started early. What do you mean you got off of work, says Cheyenne? Aren't you self-employed? Did you just take off your robe and leave? Not exactly, says the oracle. It's complicated. We'll talk about it later. The Fridays, when the oracle regains custody of Cheyenne, always feel like many holidays to her. The thrill of the coming weekend combined with the thrill of again being reunited with her daughter. The Fridays, when she loses Cheyenne, on the other hand, are anti-holidays, the weekend without her daughter, stripped of all comfort, peace, tranquility, and joy. The family law lawyers recommended 50-50 alternating custody because a child Cheyenne's age often feels unsettled when shuttled from house to house every few days. The oracle knows it's probably for the best, but the weeks without Cheyenne just about kill her. What she'll do when Cheyenne goes away to college, she has no idea. Her baby leaving home for college to the Oracle sounds like a custody agreement forged in hell. So I was thinking maybe we could head to my place for a little bit, says the Oracle. Relax, take it easy. 
then tonight we could get some dinner and go see a movie. I've got like 20 concessions coupons at the AMC 22 Cinema from this week's ritual offerings. What do you say, sweetheart? Does that sound like fun? Mom, I'm already spending the night with Heather, says Cheyenne. It's all planned. Her older sister is picking me up at 7 o'clock. The oracle frowns. Well, that's certainly the first time I've heard about this. And who, may I ask, gave you permission to spend the night with Heather? Duh, Dad, says Cheyenne, in constant disbelief that her mom can be so stunningly clueless. Dad, says the oracle, of course, except today isn't your dad's week. It's my week. He has no jurisdiction over... Mom, stop freaking out. It's no big... I'm not freaking out. I'm not saying you can't spend the night at Heather's. It's just that there are certain protocols that your father and I agreed to follow, and whereas I have actually been following them, your father obviously thinks that... Mom, you're acting crazy. No, I am not acting crazy, says the oracle, wrapping her knuckle against the Camry's dashboard. Crazy? You want to see crazy? Go watch the homeless guy who sings opera in the dumpster behind Cinnabon. You want to see crazy? Go volunteer at the psychiatric hospital across the street. What I am being is concerned and reasonable. Friday is my week. I have physical custody, so I think I have the right to... You're being so unfair. Unfair? shouts the oracle. Me? Unfair? You want to see unfair? Go to... Natasha never freaks out like this, says Cheyenne. Natasha, says the oracle. She's the car show model, right? Dance instructor. Okay, dance instructor. Which one's the car show model? Vanessa, except now she's an RN. Oh, says the oracle, through gritted teeth. An RN. Well, good for her. Multi-talented, that one. She can administer tetanus shots and pose on the hoods of convertibles. By the time the oracle has reached her duplex, she has wearied of arguing and formally surrendered to her daughter, acceding to all of her demands. At seven o'clock, Heather's 16-year-old sister honks outside, and Cheyenne emerges from her bedroom, wearing an outfit that does not foretell a quiet all-girls night at her friend's house. Remember how you were raised, shouts the oracle as her daughter sprints out the door, but Cheyenne shows no indication of having heard her. Later, while watching the evening news, the oracle sees what she missed after leaving the mall parking lot. Tear gas, paddy wagons, protesters grappling with police. A reporter interviews one of the protesters after the melee has subsided, and the bloodstained man explains his organization's reasons for today's demonstration against the oracular profession. His eyes blinking rapidly, his right index finger repeatedly jabbing at the camera for rhetorical emphasis. The oracles have promised us change, the protester says. They have promised us a new dawn, a reason for optimism, better days ahead. So we give them our money, we shop at their malls, we present them our ritual offerings. And what has happened? We are still unemployed. 
Our houses are still foreclosed. Our children are still sick. Our parents are still dying. And meanwhile, the oracles sit on their thrones and count their money and laugh. So we gathered here today to say, enough is enough. These women don't belong on thrones. They belong in windowless cells. They must pay a price for promising us everything and giving us nothing. Ho ho, oracles got to go. Ho ho, oracles got to go. Ho ho. Back to you, Steve, says the reporter, and the oracle flips off the TV in disgust. The oracle's first vision was in high school. She was in biology class, bored out of her mind, when she saw, for a split second, her teacher lying prostrate on the floor, and all of her classmates either stunned or screaming. Then she blinked, and her teacher was again standing in front of the class, lecturing monotonally on meiotic division. Her classmates, all silent, half asleep, in their seats, and so she put her head down on her desk, passed the vision off as a boredom-induced hallucination. She closed her eyes, drifted off to sleep, dreamed about visiting an ice cream factory where you could ski slalom in a larger-than-life chocolate fudge sundae. She was just passing the final slalom heading for a delicious pool of melted chocolate fudge when she awoke to ear-piercing screams. Her classmates were all out of their desks. Her biology teacher was lying on the floor. He was dead, they later learned, of a brain aneurysm. In the coming weeks, she prophesied a canceled math test, a fake bomb threat, the firing of a reading teacher for making two female students French kiss for an A. She, whose learning disability made math next to impossible, who had been called by her teachers hopeless, whose report cards had always been riddled with D's and F's, suddenly had a gift, a calling, a purpose. She dropped out of school and interned with a clairvoyant who operated an oracular phone hotline, learned the tricks of the trade, earned her state oracle certificate before she could legally drink. She couldn't foretell everything. Cheyenne was a surprise, still is constantly a surprise. Her life is still full of blindsides and wrong turns and mysteries. But she can't believe she didn't see this coming, this vitriolic, violent attack on her profession. What has she ever done to deserve this? She can do one thing well, this life, and now people hate her for doing it. She walks to her daughter's bedroom, creaks open the door, gazes inside. One of Cheyenne's duffel bags is on the floor, the other she has taken to Heather's for the alleged sleepover. Sleeping in her daughter's bed, the oracle has agreed, is counterproductive in terms of realizing her post-marital potential. She pushes the door fully open, 
steps over the duffel bag, climbs into her daughter's bed, and falls asleep. We've been naked all night And nothing that we say will make it right Populated with protesters. They no longer block the doors, no longer deny shoppers and employees passage, but they do wave signs and hand out literature and bang on bongo drums while chanting, Ho ho, Oracle's got to go, a version of which has become a viral YouTube sensation. As part of a contingency plan hashed out by Mitch and mall administrators over the weekend, the Oracle drives past the protesters to the mall's south side, where a security detail waits to escort her through a freight entrance. Fearing the worst from the assembled agitators, the Oracle and her colleagues have all taken precautionary measures. The Oracle at Glenview Shopping Plaza told the Oracle she had purchased a Groucho Marx novelty disguise. The Oracle at the downtown Marriott said she had purchased pepper spray and acquired a concealed carry license for her Glock 22. The security personnel usher the Oracle past the freight entrance's pallets and packages, lead her through a winding poorly lit service tunnel, accompany her all the way to her throne. Mitch stands guard behind the cordon rope, scans for harbingers of mischief and violence among the unruly crowds. Police have prevented anyone carrying a sign or bullhorn or bongo drum from entering the mall, but numerous anti-oracular activists still stand outside the cordons, 
derisively shouting at the oracle and handing trifle brochures to passing shoppers. My prophecy was to perform seven labors, says one of the disgruntled pilgrims, to no one in particular. One was to slaughter a raccoon which had been knocking over my neighbor's trash cans. Another was to paint the outside of my mother-in-law's garage before she returned from a weekend at her summer cottage. I was told by the counter girl at Baskin Robbins that if I performed all seven labors within one calendar year, I would find a job within the growing pharmaceutical and biotech industry. So I performed all seven labors. Also, I bought a waffle cone of Oreo cookies and cream. But did I get a job within the growing pharmaceutical and biotech industry? Ha, I wish. I didn't even get a job interview. Now I'm back to mopping floors at the 7-Eleven. Thanks, Oracle. Sure glad I painted my mother-in-law's garage. Sure glad I slaughtered that pesky raccoon. I had just gotten divorced, says another pilgrim. My marriage had been in shambles for years. Was trying to meet someone new. Oracle directs me to swim and sport. They say, buy this tankini, then go to Starbucks. So I buy the tankini, I go to Starbucks. They say, buy a grande chai latte, then go to Foot Locker. So I buy a grande chai latte, I go to Foot Locker. They say, buy these women's volleyball shoes in a size 7, then go to American Apparel. I say, look, I'm 50 years old. I work construction, I listen to Meatloaf and sports talk radio, I'm not buying women's volleyball shoes, I'm not going to American Apparel. They say, if I do not fulfill all of my retail purchase obligations, my prophecy will be rendered null and void. I say, how many more retail purchase obligations do I have to fulfill? They say, the answers you seek lie in American Apparel. So I buy the women's volleyball shoes in a size 7. I go to American Apparel. They say, buy this mesh tank top, then go to Auntie Anne's pretzels. Well, there was no chance of that. Me and this American Apparel girl, she was like 14 years old. She was like Jodie Foster and taxi driver. We exchange some words, things get heated, I start taking out my frustration on the headless hipster mannequins and the racks of ridiculous leotards and leggings, and Jodie Foster's like, due to your failure to fulfill your retail purchase obligations, we have no choice but to render your prophecy null and void. And I just lose it. I can't take it anymore. I drop my pants right there by the goddamn thigh-high socks and men's v-neck shirts and say, render this null, Jodie Foster. Render this void. What can I say? I'm still lonely as hell, but you know that Meatloaf song where he says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that? Well, that's what Meatloaf won't do. He won't buy a mesh tank top in American Apparel, and neither will I. But thanks anyway, Oracle. At least I have a tankini now, right? At least I have a pair of women's volleyball shoes in a size 7. 
The Oracle tries to ignore the protesters. She calls for the first pilgrim to be admitted, listens to his sob story about his wife's relapse and the crushing weight of medical bills, but when she attempts to enter her trance, she is unable to conjure a single vision. Instead, her head is filled with the taunts of the anti-oracular activists. No thrones for crones, liar, liar, must retire. Ho, ho, oracles, got to go. Is something wrong, says the pilgrim, looking up from his kneeling position at the oracle's feet. Was my credit card not accepted? Sometimes that happens. Try scanning it again. If you don't like the Peter wrap I brought you as a ritual offering from Obampan, I can get you something else. Would you prefer maybe the toasted Arizona chicken on sun-dried tomato? Would you prefer the butternut squash and apple soup? Hey, hey, bye-bye, chance of gang of protesters in unison. Go back to Delphi. The oracle closes her eyes, which well with tears. Why can't security force these idiots to shut up? How bad can their problems possibly be compared to those of this poor man kneeling before her, waiting for her to give him the smallest sliver of hope? Maybe she can fabricate a prophecy. It's not like it's never been done before. Something vaguely uplifting to provide the pilgrim with at least some encouragement, and yet generic enough so that if his wife dies and the medical bills don't go away, he won't come back here shouting at her along with the rest of these malcontents. It's coming to me, she says, massaging her temples. Go to J.C. Penny Portrait Studios. Speak to the girl behind the counter. Lock em up and throw away the key, shout the protesters. We say that's our prophecy. And then the oracle stops herself. She listens to the cacophony of voices surrounding her. All the protesters' frustration, all their pain, all their fear melding into one homogenous, tormented noise. She experiences a vision. She sees the sum total of their futures, superimposed on top of each other, everything that awaits them, loss, heartache, happiness, tragedy, joy, sees that some of their lives will fall short, some will stretch longer than they ever could have imagined, sees the lives of their children, of their children's children, sees first kisses, first communions, first days of school, first steps, sees weddings, funerals, birthdays, memorials, conception, destruction, reunions, goodbyes, sees a thousand sunrises, a thousand sunsets, sees somewhere buried among the protesters' failures and mistakes and miracles and triumphs, her own life, not clearly, not cleanly, but enough to give her hope. Summer rains, autumn leaves, Christmas lights, Cheyenne, 
beautiful Cheyenne. She sees what she needs to see. The vision dissipates. She opens her eyes.